Okay, let's take our Bibles this morning <clears throat> and turn to Luke chapter 14, if you would, Luke chapter 14. <clears throat> Luke chapter 14, and I know John read it before, but we're just going to read the verses here, verse 25. <clears throat> it says, And there went great multitudes with him, and he turned and said unto them, If any man come to me and hate not his father and mother and wife and children and brethren and sisters, yea, and his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. And whosoever doth not bear his cross and come after me, he cannot be my disciple. For which of you, intending to build a tower, sitteth not down first and counteth the cost, whether he hath, whether he hath sufficient to finish it? Lest happily, after he hath laid the foundation, and is not able to finish it, all that behold it begin to mock him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. And what king, going to make war against another king, sitteth not down first, and consulteth whether he be able with ten thousand to meet him that cometh against him with twenty thousand? Or else, while the other is yet a great way off, he sendeth an ambassage, and desireth conditions of peace. So likewise... Whosoever he be of you that forsaketh not all that he hath, he cannot be my disciple. Let's commit our time this morning to the Lord in prayer. Lord and Heavenly Father, we uh, thank you so much for uh, the opportunity as always to be here, to gather in this place, and to come and spend time around your word. Lord, I pray that this morning you would uh, just quiet our hearts and prepare us to receive from you. May you speak to us, teach us, instruct us, challenge us, bless us and refresh us, Lord, as, as needed this morning. Lord, I pray that you would give me wisdom and guidance as I speak, that you would empower me through the Spirit this morning, and that everything I say would be indeed from you, your words, it will be your thoughts, and that, Lord, you would be honored and glorified. We pray these things, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. In the passage before us uh, this morning, the Lord gives us a, a very challenging message concerning the matter of discipleship. And he uses here two parable similitudes to emphasize the importance of counting the cost. Now, as we consider the passage before us uh, this morning, it is important that we keep in mind and we remember that we're talking about discipleship here. That's Christ's focus in this passage this morning. It's discipleship, not salvation. And they're two completely different truths. You know, salvation, of course, must come first. You know, we must recognize that we are a, a sinner before Almighty God, condemned, lost, and on our way to hell. We must recognize our sin and we must come and accept the free gift of salvation by faith. You know, by grace you saved through faith and that not of yourselves is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. And so salvation comes first by simple faith in him and what the Lord Jesus Christ did for us there on the cross of Calvary all those years ago. And only once we are saved can we then follow him in discipleship. It comes after salvation. Commentator Ironside noted this, he said, in this entire passage, Lord Jesus is dealing with the responsibility of discipleship. He is not telling how poor lost sinners may be saved, nor is he speaking 
of the cost of that salvation. And so we need to keep that in mind. And the reason I say that is that some people get this wrong. Okay, and they misunderstand this passage and they put the two together and make it that you need to do these things to be saved. Okay, so we need to keep that in focus this morning. Discipleship is what the Lord is talking about. And the Lord challenges each and every one of us who is saved to follow him as his disciple. Now, a disciple is someone who attaches themselves to a teacher in order to learn a trade or a subject from them. And so discipleship speaks of both a willingness uh, to learn and to follow after a teacher. And it also speaks of discipline. It's kind of implied in the name, isn't it? Disciple, discipline. You know, a willingness to discipline oneself to follow that other person. And so as believers, that's what Christ is calling upon us to do. He's calling upon us as believers to be willing to discipline ourselves and follow and learn of him to discipline ourselves to live a life of service and surrender unto him as our Lord and Master. You know, the Lord here in this passage doesn't sugarcoat this call to discipleship. You know, Christ makes it very clear that to follow him as a disciple is not easy. It's not easy. And there is a, a cost to discipleship. One commentator wrote this. He said, being a believer is much easier than being a disciple. That is why Christ had many believers, but few true disciples. Believing requires faith, but discipleship requires discipline. Christ laid down exacting and costly demands for discipleship. And so it comes after salvation, and it is difficult. It requires discipline. So let's consider this morning this passage before us. Let's consider the words of our Savior, our Lord, this morning. As he lays lays bare for us the realities of being his disciple. And notice firstly with me this morning that Christ begins with a, a short message before he gets to the parables. He gives us a short message here. So let's consider the message before the parables. Look in verse 25 with me. It says, And there went great multitudes with him, and he turned and said unto them, If any man come to me, and hate not his father and mother, and wife and children and brethren and sisters, yea, and his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. And whosoever doth not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. You know, in verse 25, we see that the Lord is prompted to speak on this matter of discipleship, when he turns around and sees the great crowd that is following him. They're following after him. Now, at this time, the Lord is on his final journey from Galilee down towards Jerusalem, where, of course, he is about to be rejected and he's going to be crucified. And so he's on his way to the cross. And there's this great multitude who are following him, and Christ turns and speaks to the multitude. Now, there were many in that crowd following him that day that were only following him for superficial reasons. You know, they were following him simply because they wanted to see a miracle. They wanted to see him do some great work like they'd seen him do in the past. Others were following him because they thought he would overthrow the Romans and he would set up his kingdom here on earth and so they wanted to be close to the new king. But there were, of course, many in that crowd who were following him because they genuinely believed. 
They were genuine in their faith and they wanted to learn more of him. And it's that final group that the Lord is addressing here this morning. It's that final group, those who believed that Christ now turns and addresses this message to. Ironside again writes this, he says, Our Lord's words here are addressed to those who have already trusted him, to those who believe him to be the Son of God, the Messiah of Israel and Saviour of sinners. Those who have put their faith in him are now called upon to be his disciples. So as I mentioned in the introduction, the Lord here is speaking to believers. Okay, He's speaking to the believers in the crowd. And indeed, he's speaking to us this morning. If we've accepted Christ as our Savior, he's speaking to you, to me. And he begins this call to discipleship here with some very difficult words, doesn't he? Look in verse 26. He says, If any man come to me and hate not his father and mother and wife and children and brethren and sisters... Yea, and his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. Christ begins with some very difficult words, doesn't he? Very difficult. He doesn't sugarcoat what he is about to tell us. Christ here says that if we are going to follow him as his disciple, as a true disciple, then we must hate our father, our mother, our wife, our sisters, and our brothers. He says we must hate our family. That's a strong word, isn't it? It's a really strong and difficult demand, and it's one that many turn away from. They hear this and they go, well, that's too difficult. Now, it's important to remember and understand that the word hate here is used in a comparative sense. Okay? You know, God condemns hatred. Okay? He talks about it being sin, wickedness, in plenty of passages in the Word of God. Okay? So God is not telling us to hate someone in that sense. The word hate here is used in a comparative sense. He says that, our love for God, our love for the Lord Jesus Christ ought to be so great that in comparison, our love for our own family looks like hate. Okay, that's the point here. Our love for Christ is to be so great that in comparison, we hate our family. Matthew chapter 10 verse 37 expresses the meaning of these words well. Let's just turn over there. Matthew chapter 10. <clears throat> Matthew 10 and verse 37. Matthew 10, verse 37, we read this. It says, this is Christ. He says, He that loveth father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. He that loveth son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Now, Christ, he expresses the same truth, but this time he doesn't use that, that hard word, hate, does he? He doesn't use it this time. But it's the same truth. If we're going to be his disciples, Christ says that we must love him more than our family. You see, the point is that family attachments must not stand in the way of us following and serving him. That's the first demand the Lord's putting upon us here. Family attachments must not come before serving and following him. If we're going to be his disciple, he comes first before family. And not only that, the Lord then goes on and he declares that we must love him even more than our own selves. He says that in verse 26 there. He says, yea, and his own life also. Yea, and his own life also. The Lord says we must love him 
more than we love our own selves. Now, this speaks of yielding our will unto him, doesn't it? It speaks of yielding our will unto his will. It's a willingness to sacrifice of ourselves and what we desire in order to accomplish his will here on earth. It's the idea that we love him so much that we are, to give, we are willing to give all for him. One commentator wrote this, he said, The words, our own life, refer to all the little things that we enjoy in this life. In every situation where we must choose, bet- choose between thi- the things, sorry, these things and Christ, Christ must win if we are going to be his true disciples. Christ must win. He must come before all those little things in our life. And so the emphasis of verse 26 is clear, isn't it? If we are going to be his disciples, we must love him more than anyone or anything else, even our own selves. The Lord must come first in our life. You know, at the end of the verse, Christ makes it very clear that if we are not willing to make this sacrifice, then we cannot be his disciple. That's what he says, isn't it? He says, yea, in his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. That in itself is a hard word, isn't it? A hard phrase from the Lord. You see, notice that the Lord doesn't say, it will be difficult to be my disciple if you don't love me more than anything else. No, Christ says it is impossible to follow me in discipleship if you don't love him more than everything else. That's difficult. That's a difficult thing to hear, isn't it, from the Lord? We must love him more than family, more than our own selves. But you know, the Lord isn't finished. That's already a difficult demand that he's putting upon us. And, and many find that too steep. Many find that too steep. And so many believers don't follow him in discipleship because it's so difficult. It's so hard. But the Lord isn't finished. The Lord now goes on and he adds another demand, doesn't he? Verse 27. He says, And whosoever doth not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. And so in verse 27, the Lord now adds that we must also be willing to take up our cross and follow him. Now, Bible times, crucifixion was, of course, a common occurrence. You know, those condemned to die on the cross would carry their cross out to the place of execution. Just like our Lord Jesus was made to do. Just turn to John chapter 19. John 19. In John 19 and verse 16, it says, Then delivered he him therefore unto them to be crucified. And they took Jesus and led him away. And he, bearing his cross, went forth into a place called the place of a skull, which is called in the Hebrew Golgotha. And we know Christ stumbled under the weight of the cross and they listed Simon to carry it for him. But he started out carrying his cross. And the point is that this is a common sight okay, to see a condemned man carrying their cross through the streets out to the place of execution. It was a walk of shame, a, a walk of humiliation, a walk of suffering. And so when Christ here declares that we must be willing to take up our cross and follow him, 
It speaks of us being willing to suffer shame, willing to suffer rejection with him, with our Lord. One commentator writes this, he says, The cross stands for rejection, shame, dishonor, and humility. It signifies a willingness to share the scorn, mockery, and hatred of the world for his sake. Commentator Wearsby, he also said this, It means daily identification with Christ in shame, suffering, and surrender to God's will. It means death to self, to our own plans and ambitions and a willingness to serve him as he directs. A cross is something we will willingly accept from God as part of his will for our lives. It's something we willingly accept. Any suffering, any rejection, any humiliation, anything that comes our way because we're serving him, we accept it as being part of following him, part of identifying with him. So to bear a cross means to be surrendered completely to his will. And ready to share in the suffering of our Lord, even to the point of being willing to die for Him. That's what it means to take up our cross. You know, once more, Christ ends verse 27 with those difficult words. He says, if we don't do this, we cannot be His disciple. If we don't take up our cross and follow Him, we're not willing to do that. We cannot be His disciple. Again, there's no maybe here. It's a definite. Christ is clear. Unless we take up our cross, we cannot be his disciple. You know, this short message in these two verses is indeed a very difficult and demanding message, isn't it? It's a very difficult, it's a very demanding message from our Lord. And these difficult demands are the reason why so many never follow Christ as true disciples. Never really grow and go on for the Lord after salvation because it's difficult. The demands are too great for them. You see, the point that Christ is making here is that discipleship is not something to be taken lightly. That's what he's trying to get us to understand. Being a disciple of Christ is not something to be taken lightly. It's not something to be entered into without thoughts. Einstein noted this. He said, many people fail to realize the seriousness of this matter of discipleship. It is not a decision for one who is simply emotionally aroused to make. One needs to weigh the question thoughtfully and seriously to realize the truth of the oft-repeated verse, only one life will soon be passed, only what's done for Christ will last. You see, the point is we only have one life to live. We only have one life. The point is, what are we going to do with it? And are we willing to count the cost for the Lord? That's the question. Are we going to live for self in this life or are we going to live for him? Beloved, will we step out by faith and follow him as his disciples? That's what Christ is calling upon us to do here. And he's not sugarcoating it, is he? He's making it clear for us that this is a demand upon our life to follow him. As we said, it's not a decision to be taken lightly. And so the Lord now goes on and he makes it clear that before we make this decision, we need to count the cost. And so that's the second point now this morning. We see the parables, the parable similitudes this morning. We've looked at the message before the parables. Let's look at the parable similitudes that Christ now gives us. Look in verse 28. It says, For which of you intending to build a tower sitteth not down first 
and counteth the cost, whether you have sufficient to finish it. Lest happily, after he hath laid the foundation and he is not able to finish it, all that behold it begin to mock him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king, going to make war against another king, sitteth not down first, and consulteth whether he be able with ten thousand to meet him that cometh against him with twenty thousand? Or else, while the other is yet a great way off, he sendeth an ambassage and desireth conditions of peace. You see, the Lord now, in support of his message, as he often does, the Lord now gives some parables. He gives these parables to emphasize our need to count the cost before we make this decision of discipleship. Really understand what it's about. And the first of these parables is the image of a builder. As we just read there in verse 28, he says, For which of you, intending to build a tower, sitteth not down first, and counteth the cost, whether he have sufficient to finish it? It's the first image here. Christ likens the would-be disciple to a man who is intending to build a tower. And the Lord points out here that the fact that, you know, <clears throat> before beginning to work on that tower, there is a need to, first of all, sit down and plan and count the cost. There's a need to make sure you have sufficient to finish the building before you start. Now, he uses the description a tower here because a tower was an important building. And it was also one of great expense. Okay? So the Lord is trying to highlight a, a structure of great importance and one of great expense. Barnes writes this, he says, A tower was a place of defense or observation, erected in high places or in vineyards to guard against in enemies. It was made high so as to enable one to see an enemy when he approached, and strong so that it could not be easily taken. And so the point is, this tower is an important building, an important structure. And so it needs to be built well, needs to be built the right way, using the right materials, and it's going to cost the builder greatly. And therefore, before construction begins, Christ says the wise builder sits down and he takes time to make sure that he is able to finish the, the job. He has sufficient to finish it. And in verse 29 and 30, Christ then highlights the shame that comes if he fails to count the cost. Verse 29, Lest haply, after you've laid the foundation and he's not able to finish it, all that behold it begin to mock him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. You see, the builder who begins to build the, the tower without first considering the cost is then ridiculed for his failure to finish the job. He's ridiculed by those who observe his failure. You know, they walk past and here's this half-completed tower. It's useless. It doesn't fulfill its purpose. It can't protect anything because he didn't sit down first and count the cost. The point is the builder becomes a laughingstock. He had great plans. He started out in earnest, but his failure to count the cost ends in shame. You know, the point of the image is clear, isn't it? Discipleship is like a building. It's going to cost us greatly to build this Christ-like character in our lives. It's going to cost us to faithfully serve Him here on earth. And as such, we need to consider the cost before we begin to build. One commentator wrote this, 
This sets forth discipleship in its aspect of building up the noble and conspicuous structure of a Christ-like character. That is the lifelong work of a true disciple. Life is not for enjoyment, nor for worldly ends, but for building up a holy character. And all outward things are but scaffolding to further the building. Expenditure is needed to secure this end. You see, the life of the disciple is a lifelong work to be more like Christ, to follow him. And everything else in life is just the scaffolding around that, around the, the purpose. And so expenditure is needed to secure that end. It's going to take sacrifice. It's going to cost us to follow him. You know, there's nothing worse than a Christian who declares he's going to follow the Lord in discipleship. He's going to surrender his life to the Lord. He's going to do this. He's going to do that. But having started out in earnest, started out with great passion, he then quits because it's too difficult. It's too hard. You see, that believer sadly becomes the laughing stock of the world, doesn't he? He sees his failure, sees that he's inconsistent. He's not what he says he is. Christ then gives the second illustration, and it's similar to the first, but this time it concerns the king. Look in verse 31. He says, well, What king going to make war against another king sitteth not down first and consulteth whether he be able with 10,000 to meet him that cometh against him with 20,000? Or else, while the other is yet a great way off, he sendeth an ambassage and desireth conditions of peace. In the second illustration, it's the cost of warfare that's highlighted. Now here Christ points to the fact that a wise king will first of all consider if he is able to defeat the enemy that is coming against him. Now he will sit down and he'll plan his attack. He'll sit down and he'll strategize. He'll, he'll determine if with his 10,000 men... He's able to take on the 20,000. You know, sit down and see whether they're strong enough, brave enough, skillful enough to meet the 20,000 on the battlefield. And if the king determines that he is unable to meet the foe on the battlefield, if he determines that he's going to be soundly be beaten, then Christ says he will seek conditions of peace. Verse 32, Or else while the other is yet a great way off, he sendeth an ambassage and desireth conditions of peace you see this is the actions of a wise king isn't it you know he sits down he plans he considers the battle and then if it's not winnable he seeks conditions of peace he acts accordingly and by implication here the unwise king is one who recklessly goes forth to battle without any consideration first of all without any planning and so the result is that he is completely decimated on the battlefield. He suffers heavy casualties because he wasn't prepared. You see, like the builder who is unable to finish the tower, the king who doesn't first sit down and consider the battle plan is a failure and mocked by those who witness his defeat. You see, this second image focuses on the fact that, beloved, we are in a spiritual warfare. We're in a spiritual battle. You see, the call to discipleship is a call to fight the good fight for the faith. And in following Christ, we need to be ready. We need to be prepared, walking in the power of the spirits. 
so that we might stand fast when those attacks come. Ironside again writes this, he says, In the great spiritual warfare with the evil hosts in heavenly places, how you and I need to consider whether we, be re- we are ready to yield ourselves wholly to the control of our blessed Lord through the Holy Spirit, that we might be able to fight the good fight of faith. If we're going to fight the fight, we have to be yielded completely to the power of the Holy Spirit. Yielded completely to the Lord. We can't fight in our own strength. And so discipleship is a call to be ready for the battle and to fight in His strength. It's going to take sacrifice. It's going to take surrender. It's going to mean counting the cost, being prepared, so we might stand fast in the face of the enemy and not fall in defeat and shame. And Christ now, after giving these two parables to emphasize that we need to count the cost, he ends with verse 33. He says, So likewise, whosoever he be of you, that forsaketh not all that he hath, he cannot be my disciple. Verse 33 really sums up everything that Christ has been teaching us this morning about discipleship. You see, we must be willing to forsake all, Christ says. Okay, so likewise, whosoever be of you that forsaketh not all that he hath, must be willing to, willing to forsake all for him, if we are going to be his disciple. Now, of course, this doesn't mean that we physically have to go home and sell everything and give everything up. That's not what Christ is saying. Rather, Christ is talking about an attitude of heart here, isn't he? It's an attitude of heart. It's that we are willing to leave all behind for Christ if he asks us to. It's the idea that our love for him is to be so great that nothing else in this life matters. He has first place. He has first demand upon our life. That's the call to discipleship. Beloved, this message from Christ this morning really is a difficult message to hear. Now, we might ask, why does Christ preach it like this? Why does Christ highlight how much it's going to cost us to serve him? Why does he warn us to count the cost and not enter into it lightly? Now, is Christ trying to scare us off? Is he trying to turn us away from following him? No, that's not what Christ is trying to do. The Lord simply wants faithful servants. He wants faithful servants. He wants servants who will not quit when things become tough. Servants who will not turn away when the enemy attacks. He wants servants who will do all that is required of them. And so he wants us to make sure we understand what it is before we start. And therefore he lays bare for us the truth, the reality of discipleship. So we might understand the seriousness of this decision. But you know, beloved, the truth is that as believers, if we're saved this morning, as believers, if we really love Him, if we really understand and appreciate all that Christ has done for us, no cost is too great for discipleship, is it? If we truly love Him and we truly understand what Christ has done for us, no cost is too great to pay. Indeed, it is the very least we can do that we give up everything here on earth, that we put him first. It's the very least we can do after all that he has done for us 
to purchase our home in heaven one day. Now, Romans 12.1 describes it as our reasonable service. It's our reasonable service. You see, if we are balking this morning at the great cost of discipleship, if we're struggling with this and we're reading this and going, well, that's too high a cost, I can't do that. If we're balking at the cost of discipleship, then we need to search our hearts because, beloved, there is an idol in our life. There is something in our life that we are holding on to because it's more important to us than God. There is something in our life that we love more than Him. That's the reality this morning. That's the challenge, isn't it? If we're not willing to count the cost and follow Him in discipleship as believers, then, beloved, we have an idol in our hearts. We have a problem. We don't love the Lord like we ought. It's a hard reality. But that's the reality that Christ is pointing out to us here. Beloved, we only have one life to live. Let us live that life for Him. Let's count the cost and follow Him in discipleship. Let's close in a word of prayer. Lord and Heavenly Father, we thank You for Your word this morning. And Lord, indeed, it is a very hard message to hear a demanding message upon our lives. But Lord, after all that you've done for us, it's the very least that we can do to turn around and to be willing to sacrifice all in the service of the King. Lord, I pray you work in our hearts this morning. Lord, I pray if there is idols, there is things that we are holding on to that we love more than you, that Lord, you would break down those idols and that Lord, you would help us to put you first, help us to follow you each and every day in this wonderful thing called discipleship. Lord, we know that your burden is easy, that your yoke is light as we serve you. Lord, we thank you for your word this morning. Bless as we close. In Jesus' name we pray.